1: Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, January 22nd, 2021, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our co-founder and CEO, Rao Pal. But first, with the day's stories, Jack Farley.
2: Thanks, Ash. All three major US stock indexes opened down, but the Dow declined the most as much as 220 points. Over half of this decline in the Dow was due to IBM, which yesterday reported that it missed its earnings goal by 30%. It not only failed to meet the bottom line, it failed to meet the top line as well, with revenues below expectation, and they actually fell for the fourth quarter in a row. Interestingly, IBM is one of 11 companies in the S&P 500 that has already missed its quarterly sales estimates for 2021, and we're only 22 days in. Commodities were down today almost across the board with U.S. Treasuries rallying and inflation break evens taking the foot off the gas. In the credit markets, as spreads continue to narrow, some investors are turning to leverage loans. Institutional managers like BlackRock and DoubleLine have indicated that they're selling some of their bonds and putting that money into loans. That's a way to monetize a view that interest rates will rise because loans, unlike most bonds, tend to be floating rate. Interestingly, we saw a tremendous inflow into BKLN, which is the biggest leveraged loan ETF. So some investors may be following suit. In economic news, the U.S. Purchasing Managers Index reported strong growth in economic activity. For manufacturing, they reported a 59.1 against 56.5 expected. For services, a 57.5 against a 53.4 expected. Remember, for PMIs, a number above 50 implies net expansion and a number below 50 implies net contraction. Meanwhile, across the pond, France and Germany reported PMIs that were truly anemic, heightening concerns about a European double dip recession. In the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Boris Johnson indicated that the new B-117 strain could in fact be more deadly. England's chief scientific advisor, Patrick Vallance, said that for a 1,000 men in England above the age of 60, the original COVID-19 virus would kill 10, so 10 out of 1,000. This new variant, he said, would kill 13 or 14 now this is obviously grim news generally it's thought that transmissibility and fatality go in opposite directions so to learn that this new variant is not only more transmissible but also more deadly is not good that's all for me now let's go back to ash and raoul
0: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson Ads. Go to com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Thanks, Jack. Welcome, Raul. Good to be here as ever. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Always good to have you back. It's been a while. Lots has been going on. What's on your mind right now?
3: So yeah, Ash, I've got a lot of things I'm looking at that Key one right now is something that I wrote about in Macro Insiders, and I've got a couple of things I've written about in GMI Macro Insiders that I want to bring up with you, because I think they're really interesting. But the core one I wrote yesterday in in Macro Insiders in Real Vision Pro was the Wiley Coyote moment. It's the thing that I've talked about with you and Ed for a while, flagging that the virus increase is coming, Christmas is going to be bad, we've seen that in retail sales, and then we come into this Quarter and things are going to be much worse than expected. So myself and Remy, who works with me at Jimi and was a co-founder of Real Vision, we've been using some charts using just some basic growth rates of virus, and and it's been extraordinarily good at tracking the virus growth and where it's going. And using that data, this is the shocking thing: we've had globally two million deaths from this virus so far. In the next three months we're going to get 2 million more hmm. this is the nature of an exponential trend so the vaccine obviously is rolling out but, but it's not going to really affect this quarter so i think the us deaths i know biden had talked about potentially 500,000 deaths by the end of february i think that's right and if you extrapolate that trend i think you get to 600 or 700,000 deaths by kind of april so this is a a big acceleration because we're basically doubling in three months all the deaths we've had worldwide everywhere. Now, we're seeing some encouraging signs in the UK where it's starting to ease off a bit, but we're not sure from the work we've done that that is going to last long. Um, We're seeing a system of shutdowns. We've seen some news in Hong Kong. Um, Obviously, the UK has said it's not going to reopen probably till March or April. Um, Germany, I think, is closed till April. And I think we're going to see this around the world. We're seeing it also in um, Spain, um, and I think you know Japan is seeing incredible virus growth. And so there's a number of concerning spots for this. The US is obviously probably the most concerning of all, because it's prevalence for the virus right now. So with the Biden administration coming in, the chances of them having to try and force some restrictive measures in some way that they were able to do so, because the states get the choice in, in the US. Um, I think that's high, and I think that it's going to hit consumption, it's going to hit earnings forecasts for many companies who are looking for that V-shaped recovery from this point out, I think it's going to stall for a while. So I've been looking at the signal, and I've talked about this before, is two-year bond yields, they're currently at 12 basis points. If they break 10 basis points, it's tested that level about three times, if it breaks, Bond yields in the US at two years will probably go to zero or maybe even negative. Mm. Um, I'm also seeing the dollar showing signs of reversal. It could get stronger, which is generally a risk-off scenario as well. Um, So I'm watching these very closely. We'll wait and see what happens here. But if it does, it's likely to hit the equity market as well. So I'm on high alert now. So I've been flagging this for a while, saying it's coming. And now I'm on high, high alert that we could get a much more risk averse market than we've been used to.
1: Yeah, Rao, some truly shocking numbers there. There's enough information to talk about it for four hours. But I'm curious, the first thing that struck me, the human cost of what you were talking about, obviously, 2 million deaths, uh, a key global threshold. Your modeling suggests that what we've seen over the last 12 months effectively could happen again in the next quarter. That's truly staggering, and that's the nature of exponential growth. Tell us a little bit about that data modeling.
3: So it's not a complicated data model. So we're not building, you know, virus spread rates or anything. All we're doing is we took three trend rates: saying half percent growth, one percent growth, one and a half percent growth, and just watch how it tracks. And it's pretty linear; it just follows the path. Yeah. Now, places that have had the new variant, we've seen an acceleration where they've moved from one growth rate to another. The US has always stuck at the top growth rate um, because of the least restrictive measures. And and that's why they've got the most number of virus cases, and simple as that, and that they've got the most number of deaths. Yeah. But it, it is shocking to me that we have a probability, again, it's just a very simple trend based model. We have a probability of doubling all of the deaths we've had. um, And that is terrifying.
1: Yeah. Shocking and terrible human cost and also great economic cost. Ralph, for people who aren't as familiar with these data models as you are in terms of thinking about the lag uh, between an impact to the real economy uh, and the financial economy, tell us a little bit about how that plays out uh, and what the duration is that we can expect to see these things in the data.
3: Well, the data, I mean, we've seen the retail sales numbers for Christmas. We've got this weird economy where housing going through the roof as people are moving out of cities based on the same thing. But we've got retail sales that I was flagging to people were going to disappoint because there was no Christmas in most places around the world. Right. So, so we see that. My real issue here, my real concern is not what it does to Apple shares. Yes, they may see some slowdown in growth some spending was brought forward. We've got some stimulus coming. We don't yet know the form of it. But my fear is the insolvency of the small to medium-sized business. That's yeah. always been my fear here. It's the average guy gets screwed. So this is why handouts are so important, even though you know it means more monetary printing and more bad things. What else are you going to do? Now, again, I've argued many, many times that You basically have the same issues, whether the government restricts or not, because people take evasive action, so all these small businesses fail. Um, And so another three to six months of business shutdowns and slow growth, I mean, that's devastating for middle America, where most of the jobs are. So I think the job numbers, and we're seeing that, are going to be less robust than people hope for. I think there might be a second round of layoffs a second round of insolvencies as companies just can't afford to pay their bills any longer. Um, and so that tends to draw back consumption, rise savings, as people just get a little bit more nervous. Yeah. Let's see what happens with the next handout. My guess is that it will probably be saved again um, and not spent. And I would argue that's probably a good thing to do for the time being is you know save the money to ride out any hardship that may come, as opposed to Spend it on house, you know, on, on your house, on bits and pieces. Uh, I do think some of it creeps back into markets because if you're young in your 20s and 30s and you've not had a chance to invest, somebody giving you a thousand dollar check or a two thousand dollar check actually gives you a good opportunity to invest in markets. Um, hopefully, it won't be as speculative, but my guess is it will be equally as speculative as last time. And my guess is it probably spills into the crypto markets this time.
1: Why start now?
3: Why stop now with what? With the
1: speculative fervor in crypto markets.
3: Well, you know, if you're 30 years old, you can afford speculation. Yeah. Because if over time you just put money into the market, yeah, you bought some top ticks, but maybe in 10 years those top ticks look a long way behind you. So, you know, that's not the end of the world. But you know, if you're a retiree and you stick your money in at all time highs, record high valuations, record high levels of speculation that we've got in the equity markets now, right now, that's right. not a good idea.
1: NASDAQ, obviously, at uh, all-time highs. Uh, in crypto, we saw Bitcoin, uh, for example, cr- crack uh, 20,000 just in, in December. Now, in January, it, it goes up through 42,000, new all-time high, retraces about 33% down to 28,000 at the low uh, in the last couple of weeks here. It's a whipsaw.
3: Yeah, and I've told people about this, is you do not get the kind of crazy upside you get in Bitcoin without the downside volatility. Yeah. 32% corrections are very standard. In 2017, I had about four of them. In 2013, it had a 45% correction. That needs to be taken in context with the upside, so people need to understand what this asset looks like. It's very volatile, but it has a very skewed risk reward. So you know, I've been personally adding to so over time, and I've talked about this. I added Ethereum, and then I've added more Ethereum, um, as I think that the people stop moving out the risk curve. So Bitcoin is the safe asset. Ethereum is the next least risky asset, but has a bit more risk characteristics. So in a bull market, it tends to outperform. And then the next phase of that is the alts, um, which are the smaller market cap tokens and coins that tend to be very speculative. Mm-hmm. But within them, there's actually some very decent uh, products, projects, protocols, tokens, that usually outperform massively. So, If I think about how I think about it, I think Bitcoin could do another 10x from here over the next 12 months, Ethereum could do 20x. Um, you can see that in the Bitcoin Ethereum chart itself, if it breaks this 0.04 level, uh, it's a 0.037 right now, breaks that, that's a big inverse head and shoulders rounded bottom. So that would suggest Ethereum outperforms. So it could do double what Bitcoin does. Some of these alts could do 50x. So, But they're riskier. So you have to allocate smaller amounts of capital. The wrong game is what many people do is like, they're going to go, I'm going to put all my money into those. No, that's how to go broke. The way is to think, can I get some extra alpha, some juice out of my trade by going slightly out on the risk curve and changing my asset allocation a bit? So that's how I think about it. Trying to keep a portfolio which is mainly Bitcoin, then a good chunk of Ethereum, and then a small speculative thing that could pay off well if it works. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't hurt me much.
1: Right. You know, talking of altcoins, Ralph, lots of activity on your Twitter feed the last few days.
3: <laughs> so I knew because I flagged it danger. I asked people. I don't know much about this altcoin space. I, you know, I know some like Polkadot and Link and you know, we've featured them on Realvision Crypto. Yeah. But I want to know more, and I have no idea what to buy. You know, it's the interview with Ari Paul that I did, that I know you've interviewed as well recently on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Ari was talking about, you know, that it's called alt season when alt start to outperform as people go further out the risk curve. And that happens in credit markets, equity markets, emerging markets everywhere. That's how Humans allocate risk capital. So he was talking about that it's coming up and they were discussing internally how to build, how to, how to play it. And he talks about just having an equally weighted basket. And I thought, you know, that's the simplest thing. What do I put in the basket? I really don't know. So I thought I'd reach out on Twitter. Um, I didn't imagine I'd have the most engaged tweet I've ever had and probably one of the most responses of any financial tweet on Twitter I've ever seen. I mean, thus far, I've had five and a half thousand replies to that question, as everybody shilled me their coins. But yeah. I said, give me a paragraph on why the coin that you're suggesting is good for this basket. Really interesting responses. I mean, obviously, wildly overwhelming. Yeah. But uh, you know, a lot came up. Stuff like Cardano, Link, Uniswap. There's a whole bunch of the ones that we kind of know. Yeah. Uh, any of which we featured on on Real Vision Crypto. But you know, I'm interested in, um, and you know, if they all fall by fifty percent, I don't really care. It's, it's a few percent, um, you know. And you know, Bitcoin, you know, having fallen like that, is now up seven and a half percent today. So, yep. you know, losing a few percent in alts by getting it wrong, not going to kill me. But if they go up fifty x, yeah, it'll make a lot of money.
1: Well, it's what we always talk about on this show:
3: asset allocation. Exactly right. Exactly right. So you know, so I'm pretty set with that. You know, it's a. Uh, Again, I've always said it's a very big position for me. So it's it's supposed to be terrifying, but I actually get excited when the sell-offs happen because if I can find any cash under the sofa, I just stick it back into that market. So I actually look forward to sell-offs because um, in this kind of volatile market, those sell-offs are your friend until they're not. Uh, the difficulty is is deciding when they're not your friend any longer when the ter- uh, the trend has turned. How I think about that is I wrote an article for GMI that was published in Real Vision Pro this week, which I think is one of the most important articles I've ever written, maybe the most important article I've written about cryptocurrencies. Um, It's going to be released free on Real Vision Crypto next week. So anybody who's watching it, you'll see this article. And it basically talks about network effects and Metcalfe's law and how you value Cryptocurrency is most like a social media platform as opposed to a commodity. Um, and so that's a little bit revolutionary in thinking, because it actually yeah. shows that something like Ethereum is actually very similar to Bitcoin, but it just started five years later. So it's following basically Bitcoin's path five years ago. It, it's truly extraordinary how similar they are. And it's to do with network effects, the number of wallets and a bunch of other stuff. Within that, I talk about S curves as well. So, S curves in businesses is you get the network effect or the growth phase, and then it tends to tail off. And then you either have to kind of reinvent yourself, invent new products, change your business, and you get the next S curve up, or you can fail. Now, I-, I was thinking this through once I was discovering this, I was thinking, okay, well, why does crypto have these big sell offs? The halving cycle, the network effect increases, the wallet addresses increases, the prices rise, the market caps go up. Why the big sell-off? And it dawned on me, it's pretty simple. Even though everybody says they're a holder or a hodler, the reality is at some point, you actually want to transfer back into fiat to cash cash in your crypto chips for lifestyle chips. And the lifestyle chips happen to be US dollars because that's how you buy a house a car put your kids through school or anything else so you have to go back into the regular economy so most people say oh we don't do that we're waiting for the bitcoin ruling the world the reality is if you get a chance to buy a house or buy a car you'll take it so what happens is as a few people get to the point where they think okay this is ridiculous i've now made so much money i want to start cashing in some crypto chips for lifestyle chips Right. It starts pushing everybody towards that. And what you do is you unwind a significant portion of the rally that's come before it. So it's just normal human behavior. And I think that's all that drives it. Is when it yeah. when it becomes worth so much that your five thousand dollars is now worth a hundred grand, well, you might want to cash in that hundred grand for something else.
1: Yeah. And this is why that market experience, Rao, that you bring to this is so important. It's understanding this and seeing it in other cycles. Uh, As the highs get get lofty, people decide to cash in those chips. Uh, That further pushes down price, accelerating other people to think, I want to get out before uh, I don't get the opportunity to buy the house that Joe down the street bought with his crypto. Uh, And then it reaches a certain new equilibrium. And people go, you know, at that level? I'm actually willing to come back in. And that's the give and take. That's the push and pull. That's what makes markets so fascinating.
3: Yeah, and because Bitcoin is the network effect of money, it's, it's got kind of behavioral properties that are so strong, because unlike Facebook, which also works by Metcalf's law, famously so, yeah. your incentivization is to get your friends on it, or it was originally, to get your friends on it, so then you can keep in connection with them. Well, Bitcoin is a similar network effect, but when you get your friends onto it, the value goes up. So your money goes up. I mean, this is genius. Yeah. This is the best alignment of behavioral incentives almost ever invented. But it does come with that negative down cycle as well when people want to get off. People don't do that with Facebook. So the network effect tends to grow, and there's no S curve. Right. Yes, you might get some growth S curves as people get bored of Facebook, and they need to introduce new things. But you don't get the violent S curve that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies get. But this yeah. whole piece is going to be, it's going to create quite a lot of uh, uh, pushback and debate in the space because it slaughters some holy cows within this. Um, <laughs> that Bitcoin is different to Ethereum. It's not. They both look identical when you actually use the same number of wallet addresses as your starting point. They both were exactly the same price and they both have followed exactly the same pattern. I mean, it's kind of spooky. Which yeah. shows you it's more behavioural, and the value is implicit in the in the network effect, and not in the technology itself. The technology itself is what brings the network effect. So, really interesting. It'll push a few narratives out about you know what's a shitcoin and what's what's a quality investment. It's actually about how adoption rates work. Yeah. So, um, and it rejects a lot of the arguments. A guy called John Pfeffer wrote about this that has been held onto within the Bitcoin community as. All other coins trend to compute costs or electricity costs, except Bitcoin. It kind of disputes all of that in some very simple charts and some mind-blowing maths from Santiago Velez, who helped me out on some of it.
1: Always good to have a nuclear engineer helping you out. With yeah, yeah, I don't
3: want to bore everybody about crypto, but the other thing that's coming out next week, I hope, on Real Vision Crypto, is you'll have all heard me talk about we need to talk the language of the asset allocators if you want them involved. And to talk about you know, all of the kind of philosophy and stuff behind Bitcoin doesn't work for them. They need to know how it works in a portfolio and portfolio effects and diversification effects. Well, I bleated on so long a Real Vision that somebody hit me up uh, on LinkedIn and said, listen, I'm a Real Vision uh, member. I used to work for Barra. I've worked for another one of these quant firms. I worked for BlackRock. And now I'm a consultant, and I do risk models. I'm like, could you write us a white paper? He said, sure. So here's written an incredible white paper that is going to massively leap forward the space's understanding of the portfolio diversification effects and the full portfolio effects, what it does, to the volatility of the portfolio, the return profile, and everything else. And he's looked at it in a number of different ways, you know, reducing a currency component, putting it in that, putting it across broadly across the portfolio, reducing equity weights, looking at different outcomes. It, this is really what the institutional space has been after, so I'm you know really pleased you know it'll be come out with with Real Vision, and I think it'll go around the world, uh, and it should be a very important piece. So lots happening next week on Real Vision crypto, my GMI piece, which I think will drive conversation, and is a very important piece if I'm honest. And this other piece is really important for institutional adoption because it talks the language of pension funds, insurance companies, and asset allocators. Endowment funds, all of those people who really need to understand Bitcoin in a different way.
1: Everything a CFA charter holder could dream of in terms of portfolio construction theory.
3: Yeah, because it's actually complicated to do, but it's but um, it's all been done. So we'll we'll announce that fully next week. Not sure when that's going to come out. So.
1: you know, Raul. In terms of the, the GMI that's going to uh, paper that's going to be released, you've already put some of those uh, charts on Twitter, and the correlation that you found
3: with these network effects is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, and I hadn't noticed that nobody talked about this before. I mean, people talk about Metcalfe's law and stuff, but there it's kind of writ large. So super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll wait and see. But you know, outside of crypto, because we could talk about crypto all day. It's actually a boring macro landscape, and you know, some people say to me on Twitter, "Why are you tweeting about macro stuff?" I'm like, "There's nothing going on." I'm just a friend of mine is a broker, um, a um, fixed income derivatives broker. He's like, "I've got nothing to do," because fixed income's not really doing a lot. It's relatively low volatile. You know, we had that spurt up in yields, it stopped, done nothing. The short trend of the curve has been drifting lower, and then everything from Gold's been in a range. The dollar's been kind of sideways, looking, hopefully, it goes higher. There's not a lot going on in macro land. Um, but I know macro land is very focused on crypto land right now. Yeah. You know, everyone's super jealous of crypto land. So they're all, you know, I'm getting all my macro clients from GMI, all they're doing is asking about crypto. I mean, virtually nobody's asking me about macro. So yeah. it's very interesting. There's just not a lot going on. And I don't like that for an anchor to get involved in markets yet. You know, I've talked about emerging markets. I'm still waiting for the dollar to rise, emerging markets to sell off for a bit, maybe the equity markets overall to correct. Then we can see, OK, what's the reflation trade? What does it look like? What can we do? And I think that bet for me is going to be end up being a very big bet in emerging markets that will go on for some time. And we'll bring more emerging market content onto Real Vision so people can get up to speed whether it's about India, whether it's about, you know, other countries that need to get to speed with. And it's going to be interesting because everyone's going to have a lot new learning. It's not just going to be about tech stocks. We're going to have whole countries, whole new economies and a great macro landscape. So I'm, I'm excited about new opportunities coming up in this kind of dead period of macro right now.
0: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Fascinating. Do you feel, Raoul, in a certain sense that it's like the calm before the storm, like we're watching in this silent uh, afternoon, the storm clouds roll in toward us and there's a big change that's coming?
3: I think there's a change that's coming. How big that is, I don't know. Yeah. I do note that future expected 10-year returns of US equities are like negative 10% now. I mean, they're about the worst they've ever been. Do, do those models play out? I don't know. I don't even know how to construct those models, but they all look interesting to me. So um, I see that, um, and I, you know, I worry about... Develop market equities, and I have done for a while. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm the fool. And 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 the central bank printing makes it all go away. I'm not so sure. So I am on high alert for risk. Um, You know, I smell fire in the room. Can't see it yet. Thirteen thousand
1: five hundred and forty-three Nasdaq closed today. All time fifty-two week new fifty-two week high today.
3: Yeah, I mean, and this is you know, again, I wrote about this in macro insiders. I mean, all time record option speculation. All-time low mutual fund cash holdings, all-time record um, volumes on uh, pink sheets. Yeah, the most speculative sh- stocks. You know, we're seeing speculative excess after speculative excess that is beyond what we even saw in two thousand. So, you know, can bubbles go on? Of course, they can. Yeah, and that's why I, I tend not to short a bubble, um, but I'm just cognizant of it. And again, as I I always say, bonds will give us the lead. They'll tell us what's going on. Right now, they're kind of doing nothing. So it doesn't really help us yet. But I've noticed that yields are drifting lower. I've got the chart of five-year yields. They've been drifting lower a bit for recently. And two-year yields are the one that I've been looking at the most.
1: Yeah. Question for you, Ralph. Something that we've been talking about internally at Real Vision on our Slack channel. Uh, Many of our ideas for these shows come out of the conversations that we have all day long. You were talking earlier about the hardest lesson to learn in investing. And I thought this is a fascinating.
3: Yes, this is true. Because I've been thinking about this. What have I found the hardest to do? And what does almost everybody, particularly in Macroland? Macroland we're all cynics, right? That's our our game is ambulance chasing. We look for the we hear the sound of the ambulance, we try and You know, get in front of the trend, um, particularly when it turns. What is interesting is everybody has to learn how to enter a trade, how to put stop losses, how to manage your risk, how to scale out of a trade, take some profits. All of these things, right? These are standard trading things. But a couple of times in your career, you catch an exponential trend. And exponential trends are so difficult to deal with. So, Bitcoin is one of them. Everybody wants to tell you to tell your position that you're wrong. This risk is going to happen. This risk is going to happen. You're going to lose it here. And all of those are real risks. And somehow you need to filter all those out without feeling sick and saying, no, I think it's going higher. And here's my reasons. And that is the hardest thing I've ever seen anybody do. It's really hard. Macro people don't do it very well because they always get cynical too quickly. Um, some people, you know, people look at like Microsoft or Amazon and say, "Look how much they rose." Virtually nobody, unless it's in a passive vehicle or some portfolio they didn't look at, ever rides those because at some point, Amazon's going bust. It's a terrible company. Look at its PE; it's trading on a P of eight hundred. You've got to get out. You know, and the market screams, "Get out, get out, get out, get out, all the way." And the key to making the big bucks is not getting out, and that's terrifying because your fear is always it's all going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. It's fighting the counter narrative in the crypto world. They call it FUD. Um, what's it? Fear, uncertainty, and despair. Doubt. Doubt. Um, so I've been a bond bull for basically my entire career, 30 years. All I've had to do is, uh, Travis and I were, were laughing about this over Twitter, all I've had to do that whole career is do this, is you have to stop all the inflationists going, inflation is going to break out, wage inflation is going to run, and it never happens. It's cyclical, then it disappears, and bond yields keep falling. But I've had to fight narratives for 30 years in this. so. I, I know I can do it in bonds. I'm trying to do it now in crypto, um, and I've seen a few friends of mine who've who've ridden, you know, hundred x's. It's really difficult to do. It's a, it's it's. I think the most difficult trade of all.
1: Yeah, look at that chart on the thirty-year Treasury yield. If you just go back, to, you know, to to uh, I don't know, 1980, and just watch that yield.
3: It's just done this. It's just a one-way trend. Yeah. But. Even if you look at the Fed and Wall Street forecast, every year they do this. They're going, yields are going up, yields are going up, and they don't. So you have to fight the narrative because everyone calls me up, calls me an idiot. Usually at the beginning of the year, when everyone says yields are going up, I'm like, they're probably not. And then what happens is I get called an idiot and then yields fall again. Um, and you can see it, it's a stair-step pattern as well. It's pretty yeah. clear. It's a big channel, stair step, which is the cyclical part. And then as everyone goes, yields are going to break out. Remember, Jeff Gunlack, yields are going to 6%. It's all the same thing. Everyone looks at that channel and projects a breakout of yields to the upside, and they never do. And I still don't think they're going to. And still, we're hearing the inflation, MMT, currency printing, inflation. Right. And all I look at is that chart and say, that's the chart of truth. It's never let me down in 30 years. <laughs> my guess is it lasts a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, you could have been uh, a fixed income analyst in 1981 and said, this is my call. I predict 30 year treasury yields are going to fall, and that's going to happen for the next 40 years. Isn't that shilling?
3: That was shilling, right? That's what the bet he made. He made one bet, which is bond yields are going to fall, and, and he's got it right all the way through. So, but yes, and really, that's the biggest source of returns for the macro hedge fund industry. Because what's amazing about bond markets is they are low volatile, massively liquid, trade 24 hours a day. And you can get huge leverage, and it's massively trending. It's like that's the world's perfect trade. And they follow the economy. So it's not like you're trying to figure out the behavioural psychology really. It basically follows the economy. So it's been a great source of returns. Problem is is sure, maybe I'm right, bond yields fall to zero or negative half percent. That's one last push, and then it's dead. You know there's nothing left. I talked about this with Ed last week. The kind of death of macro is real. That's the message I'm basically getting from the friend of mine who's the fixed income derivative guys. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, try being a Japanese government bond salesman for the last twenty years. You've had no job except answering the phone to the Bank of Japan, saying how many would you like today. That's it.
1: Yeah. You know, just flip the script here and talk a little bit about what some of those new durable rules may be. And obviously, this is speculative. uh, And when you're thinking about it at the beginning of a trend that may be durable, you clearly don't know. Uh, But your interview uh, with the Winklevoss twins talking about some of the points that you made earlier uh, about network effects and how this effectively what we see in the digitization uh, of money uh, looks like the digitization of attention in social media, fascinating, fascinating theory.
3: Yeah, look, I think, I, I think it's real. And then you need to understand why there are exponential trends. It's because of this. You know, Other people say it's a bubble, but as many people have pointed out, a 12-year bubble doesn't look much like a bubble any longer. These exponential moves, that's network effect. And the S-curve is what we talked about before. Yeah. So if you can understand, OK, this is exponential. There is an S-curve. At what point do I get out of the at the top of the S-curve, how do I figure that out? Uh, right now, I don't know yet, but I've got my price targets and my time targets, we've got the stock to flow chart from plan B, and we've got a number of things that, again, you'll see in that article when it's released next week, uh, gives you some guidelines. Again, I could be dead wrong, but so far, it's been a good trade for everyone.
1: Yeah, and if you're looking for an introduction to S-curves, my interview with Brian Estes on uh, Real Vision Crypto, absolutely fascinating. That was the key trend that he saw. Uh, And by his own admission, in terms of his description of how he got into this Bitcoin position and why he found it so interesting.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, super interesting. You know, there's a lot of new knowledge we're having to learn, because here we are in the investing space having to learn what the technology guys had learned. Most of this network effect stuff was actually hidden at VC level before companies went public. Yeah. And they went public once they were up the risk, curve, uh, up the um, adoption curve. So many of us haven't dealt with this. VCs kind of intuitively understand it, um, so it's just a different way of thinking about this stuff.
1: Very different framework. For thinking.
3: The other thing I write about in this piece is a lot of people complain about scams in the crypto space and these coins that come out and then collapse. I'm like, okay, what you're seeing here doesn't exist elsewhere, which is this is mark-to-market VC. If you mark to market real vision, it would have gone bust five times. It would have gone to zero about five times, right? You can't mark to market VC because it's terrifying because they're early stage businesses. The other problem with that, so you shouldn't really do that, which is why many of the people like Pantera buy and hold these tokens and don't think in, in those terms. But Novo raised a point to me that was really interesting. My interview with him on Real Vision Crypto. He's like. Well, what I do is there's too much retail money in the space. So they see a new project that looks interesting. The price goes up so fast that it's well beyond any fair value. And what happens is the owners of the tokens and the founders of these companies are incentivized to sell because suddenly, there's millions on the table instantly, which doesn't happen in startups. So what happens is new supply of coin comes out, the thing collapses. Bad projects fail, just like they do in VC startup land, Right, 80% of projects fail. That's normal. It's not a scam. It's behavioral, but because you've got the stupid mark to market going on. Yeah. Then you've got the others that will ride through that S curve, so the downside of the S curve, and then as they get adoption, and they build a proper business. Their tokens start to be worth more. So it's it's common and it's explainable. And it's not everything as a scam. Of course, there's scams, the scams in equity world, the scams in gold miners, the scams everywhere. Humans are humans, they'll try and make a buck. But the reality is it's behavioral, which I've been saying for a long time. All of this is a very, very behavioral space. And this ridiculous thing of having real-time mark-to-market market on which just doesn't happen elsewhere.
1: Right? Real time, mark to market, 24 by 7, 365 continually.
3: Yes, with excessive speculation that takes place in the space as well. So it becomes a really complicated market to deal with. But you have to have patience and time. Maybe the answer is you wait for the ramp and then bust and then buy the tokens that you think are going to last over time. And maybe that gives you a higher probability of success over time or the ones that don't come down as far. And then start moving, i.e., buy highs. Maybe that works too. I don't know. I'm I'm still new to this space, trying to figure it out. Yeah. I've been talking to a lot of people about it. I was speaking to um somebody very interesting yesterday, I can't really name names, um, who is very active in this space. And they're trying to figure it out too, because you know, they, they run a VC fund, but they also run a crypto and token fund as well. Um and you know it, the differences in this are very different between how they hold it in the VC portfolio versus how they hold it in the normal portfolio, just because of how it is. And now we've got leverage thanks to DeFi and futures. <laughs> humans, they're gamblers by nature. You can't stamp it out. People say we can build this great new financial system, it won't look anything like the rest. I'm like, no, we're humans. We're just gonna do excess leverage again and blow it all up again. But that's all we do. That's humans. Yeah. We, we want to. We want to make more money, and then we blow the whole thing up, and then we start all over again. Well, it's so
1: interesting because we're asking people to talk, to think about this uh, universe in a totally different way. You know, uh, for the last week or so, obviously this isn't an endorsement, and not to the exclusion of uh, any other really interesting projects that are out there. But I've just gone down the rabbit hole on Chainlink. Uh, I did an interview uh, for the podcast Ground Floor Consensus uh, that came out last week with Sergey Nazarov. Absolutely fascinating, this idea of oracles. If you aren't familiar with oracles, what oracles basically are, it's the interface that a smart contract has with the rest of the world. You and I create a smart contract that has to evaluate some condition. How do we establish whether that condition has happened or not? You and I bet on a Yankees game or on a football match. How do you know who actually won? It sounds trivial. It turns out in application, it's not trivial at all. That's what Oracles are all about. That's what Chainlink is working on right now. And when you start to think about what that world looks like, again, there are other projects that are doing similar things. Lots of people are looking at this. But what's so fascinating is thinking about things like insurance contracts, programmatically being able to pay
3: out. So uh, you're, the- you're thinking of the nice applications that industry needs. I'm thinking everyone's going to bet on everything. <laughs> Because you can create really complex bets, yeah. like you can in derivative markets, but here you've got a distributed, basically oracle right. to prove who won it. So you can create fantastically complicated bets. And humans being humans, yes, they'll put the insurance sector and everything else on it. They'll also put the gambling sector onto this absolutely because <laughs> they can't help themselves because they can't help themselves. Rao, you and
1: I have the best job in the world.
3: Yeah, especially on a Friday afternoon when you can have a good chat and uh, laugh about what's going on in the world and also get excited. There's a lot going on. Said not enough going on in macro land for me. So it's a bit like twiddling my thumbs for a while, but that's what macro is like. Nothing happens and then three buses all come along at once. But Crypto Land is keeping me reasonably engaged and just thinking through the space and learning, learning, trying to apply different frameworks and helping bring others. Into the space to give them a level of understanding. You know, I'm enjoying doing that. Um, so, long may it continue.
1: Ralph, final thoughts as we head into the new, into the weekend, and then the new week.
3: Um, I have no final thoughts today. It's been a long, long week, and my final thoughts are: it seems to be cocktail hour. Do I have a siesta first or not? It's a tough decision to make. I know, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Ralph, thanks once again for joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks everyone. Have a fantastic
1: weekend. Have a good weekend, everyone.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads.